So our first reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 15, and which is also on page 15 of the Church Bibles. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up in the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a, smoke and bra- a smoking brazier with blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Um, Our next reading today is Romans 4, uh, verses 18 to 25. Against all hope, Abram in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. I'm just going to pray for George before he comes up to preach. Um, Lord God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for um, your word this morning. Um, Lord, I pray for George as he comes up to speak to us. Thank you for the preparation that he's done and the work that you have been doing in him. Lord, I pray that as he speaks to us this morning, he would be speaking the words that you want us to hear, um, that he would be saying the things that you you want us to hear and to learn. Um, And Lord, I pray for us as a congregation that we would have hearts that are open to hearing what you have to say. Um, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be powerfully at work in us and that all of us this morning would grow to be more like your son, Jesus. Amen. Who 
has an irrational fear of something. Does anyone have an irrational fear of something? I've got one. When I'm up high or on a bridge or somewhere like that, I'm afraid of things just falling out my pockets. It's ridiculous, but it means I walk across bridges like this. You'll notice it, and it's stupid. There's, there's lots of funny, irrational fears going around. I'm going to put a few names of different phobias on the screens. I want you to try and guess what it is the fear of. So, pognophobia. What is pognophobia? It, no, it's the fear of beards. <laughs> Xanthophobia? Gum. Gum. No. The fear of the color. Oh, I've changed that. It's the fear of the color yellow. <laughs> Slide error there. And then arachibutyrophobia. This is a key one for you to know. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. These are some ridiculous examples. Um, I'm sorry if you suffer with them, um, but they're a bit silly. But we all have real fears, don't we? We all have real, deep-rooted fears that are genuine. Things that keep us up at night. Things that are perhaps unique to this phase in our life, something that's going on right now, or they might be fears that have been lifelong from as early as you can remember. And this is just like Abraham in today's passage. We're in the fifth week of our series in Genesis, looking at the life of Abraham. We started in chapter 12, where God called Abraham to follow him into a new land and promised to make him into a great nation. Then there was the business in Egypt where um, Abraham pretended that his wife was his sister. Then Abraham and Lot separated for a while and um, God again made a promise to Abraham that he would give him the land in which he lived and give him many descendants. And then we had last week, which Toby preached on Genesis 14, where Abraham rescued Lot, who was carried away by an invading army. So we arrive today in chapter 15. And what we know about Abraham so far is that he's rich. He's got big money. He's got loads of livestock. He's married. He's got decades of life experience. And he's just found out that he's a pretty good fighter. He's got it all going on. He's got seemingly everything. Yet in today's passage, he doesn't speak like that. He doesn't speak like a man on top of the world. Looking at Abraham's words, we see a man who is afraid. We see a man with deep-rooted, genuine, rational fears. We see a man kind of like you and me. See, although Abraham didn't have fear about money or provisions, he had fears about his lack of children and about his future. Maybe it's the other way around for you today. Perhaps you have a genuine fear financially. And he worried what's going to come of that. Maybe your greatest fear is your health and the struggles you're facing with that. Maybe it's your mental health. Maybe the difficulty with a partner or maybe your kids at school. See, we all have very real, very great fears that can sometimes feel crippling. But we see today a great God. 
a God who cares for Abraham and speaks his greatness into Abraham's greatest fears. We see a God who shows his greatness into Abraham's greatest fears. And we see a God who gives his greatness into Abraham's greatest fears. Our God is not removed. He's not distant. He knows what keeps you up at night. And rather than ignoring it, he speaks, shows, and gives himself into our fears. We're going to work through today's passage as we look at these three ways that God engages us in our day-to-day fears and battles. We're going to look at when our greatest fear meets a greater God. So keep Genesis 15 open in front of you, because the way it works, they're going to jump around a bit throughout the, the chapter itself. So firstly, God speaks his greatness into our greatest fears. In today's passage, we see two doubts. We see two fears expressed by Abraham. Look with me in verse 2. We see Abraham's first fear expressed in verse 2. Abraham says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. That's the first. That's Abraham's first fear, the fear of being childless. And then we see his second fear in verse 8. Jump down to verse 8. Second fear is, but Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Two fears, lack of children and possession of the land. And Abraham lays them before God. Despite his wealth, his power, and everything he has, Abram is afraid, and he brings it before God. This is crucial. This is really crucial. How often do we face struggles and battles and fears and worries and concerns and just keep it to ourselves? How often do we lie awake at night, our minds going crazy about what's going to happen in the next five years or even tomorrow, and we forget to bring it to God? It's like going to the GP with something we're really concerned about, something that could be really serious, and saying, no, everything's fine. I'm not going to show you this. It's ridiculous. We would never, ever do that. Yet so often we forget or we're slow to bring things to God in prayer. Like Abraham Church, we should bring our fears and our concerns to God. It's modeled throughout the Bible. It's modeled in the Psalms. Think about the Psalms. They will write about fears and struggles that they're facing, and they bring it before God really vocally. They bring their doubts before God. Later on in the Bible, Peter in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. That's all your anxiety. Why? Because he cares for you. And we see a God who cares in verse 4 in today's passage. Verse 4, God responds to Abraham's fear, his doubt. He says, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son is your own flesh and blood 
will be your heir. There's no rebuke. There's no dismissive platitude. It's going to be fine. There's no expectation for Abraham to bury his head in the sand. God says how it's going to be. God speaks his biology-defying greatness and tells Abram that he's going to have a son. Much later on in the Bible, in Romans 4, we've heard a bit of it today, Paul describes Abram. Paul says this about Abram. He says, his body was as good as dead. Absolutely savage. (laughs) But this is the greatness of God. He brings life where there's death. He brings comfort where there's fear. God is not frustrated that Abraham is somehow forgetting the promises that he's made to him in the earlier chapters. God is not angry at this doubt or this fear that Abraham is expressing. God is gentle. And through that gentleness, Abraham is learning something. Something that all of us today need to learn. That God's delays are not his denials. Let's look now at how God speaks following Abraham's second expression of fear. Look again at verse 8. So Abraham said to him, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? And then God actually responds in verse 13. God responds saying, no for certain. So Abraham asks, how can I know? And God says, no for certain. He's so loving. He's so gentle. And he goes on and answers the question far more than Abraham could ask or imagine. He tells Abraham what's going to happen for the next four generations of his descendants. The foretelling of what is to come is a show of God's sovereignty. A God who knows and can tell you what is going to happen is a God who can make true his promises. God is speaking his greatness into Abraham's greatest fear. Not only is God alleviating Abraham's fears, but actually we're getting a rare window into God's plan and wisdom. Let's read verses 13 to 16 again. God says, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age, and in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God is telling his people that the suffering in Egypt is not an accident. It is God's plan, and it will come to an end in exactly God's timing. In God's perfect timing, it will end when the sin of the Amorites will have reached its full, and judgment will be brought through Joshua after the Exodus. You see, from mistreatment to judgment to dying in peace at a good old age, these are all resting in the hands of God. Not a sparrow falls outside of the Father's care. So take heart, for you're worth more than many sparrows.
God spoke his greatness to Abraham by telling him the future of his people. God's sovereignty brought peace to a man who was in fear. But know this, God's foreknowledge, God's providence, didn't just stop at the fourth generation of Abraham. It continues now. It continues today. And it will forever. What is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear this morning? Listen to God as he speaks his greatness through his sovereign rule. He is over all things. Even your deepest fears. God told Abraham the future of his people. And God has also told us the future. He said that those who know him will have eternal life. Eternal peace and union with God. And we can know that like Abraham, we're strangers and we're exiles on this earth. But we can know for certain that when we're home of Christ, we'll be with him forever. And that's our first point today. God speaks his greatness into our greatest fears. We're now going to look at God showing his greatness into our greatest fears. As we look at our passage today, we see that God does not just respond to Abraham vocally. He does not just enter into a dialogue with Abraham, but God also shows Abraham his greatness. Look at verse 5. He, God, took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. See how gently God reminds and responds to him here? What does God do to a man who is struggling in fear? What does God do to a man who is second-guessing or doubting God's promises coming to pass? God says, look up. Look up to me, yes, but look at the stars and try and count them. Look up, Abraham, and so shall your offspring be. Look up. Look up to him who is immeasurably more to do more than we ask or imagine. According to his power that has worked within us. Look up. Look up. Look up. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Look up, Abraham. Look up. You see, this was far more than a promise for descendants. This was God giving himself to Abraham. And his people. This was a promise that God himself would be one of Abraham's descendants. Jesus would be of Abraham's family line. Not only is he answering Abraham's plea and his fear about children, God is giving himself through Abraham's children to his people. Look up at the sky and count the stars, and so shall your offspring be. God asked Abraham to do the impossible. And as he did so, he embraced the impossible. The impossibility of having a child at his and Sarah's age. Isaiah 40, 26 says this. It says, look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Psalm 144 47 verse 4 says, He determines the numbers of stars, and he calls them each by name. God knows the numbers of stars in the sky, and he knows each of their names. 
But you know what's more amazing than that? God knows each of Abraham's descendants. He knows them by name. He knows their fears. He knows what excites them. He knows their heart. God knows you. And let God show you his greatness this morning. Ask him in prayer to open your eyes to his greatness this morning. Ask him to help you see him, to look up at this star-wielding yet heart-loving God and help you see him. And your very real fears, your true and crippling fears will pale in his glory. There was once a man who'd been blind from birth. He was sitting by a road begging for money. And when he heard that Jesus was passing by, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People told him to be quiet, but he kept on shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped, and he asked what he could do for the blind man. And the blind man said, Lord, I want to see how we should be like the blind man this morning. Crying out in prayer to God, Lord, I want to see. I need to see you. In my fears, Lord, help me to see you. Lord, help me to see you above, beneath, to the right, to the left of my fears. I cannot do tomorrow. Help me to see you, Lord. Give me eyes to see. And he will. Like he did for Abraham. God shows his greatness into our greatest fears. Let's ask him to do that for us this morning. And then we're going to spend the rest of our time today looking at our final point, God giving himself into our greatest fears. Look with me from verse 9. Here we see God establishing a covenant, or which is another word for an agreement. Establishing this covenant with Abraham. He tells Abraham to get a bunch of different specific animals, cut them in half, and arrange them opposite one another. It's a pretty grim task. It's quite different from the earlier stargazing. Let's, let's read those verses again. Look at verse, um, verse 9 and 10. Abraham brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down onto the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. We then got a couple of verses that we've already discussed, so skip to verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. What's going on? Why is God using such an unusual thing to establish his covenant with Abraham? Well, help is found in the book of Jeremiah. In chapter 34, verse 18 of Jeremiah, it says this, those who have violated my covenant 
and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. This passage shows what it means to establish a covenant this way. The two parties entering into this covenant would cut certain animals in half and arrange them just how God instructed Abraham. Then both parties who are entering into the covenant would walk between the two pieces of animal as they made their agreement. And this was a symbol that each party of the covenant agreed to be treated like those animals should they break it. If they broke it, the person who broke it would be treated like those animals. But notice the strange thing about today's covenant. God is establishing a covenant with Abraham. God and Abraham. But where is Abraham in all this? He doesn't walk through the halves of the animals with God. Abraham isn't involved. He's an observer. He's actually asleep. The fire pot and the torch passing between the halves of the animals is a representation of God. In the Bible, fire is often a representation of God's presence and his holiness. So if this covenant was between God and Abraham, why does only God walk between the two of the animals? It's because God took on both sides of the covenant. By establishing the covenant this way, God is effectively saying, if I break my part of the covenant, you can treat me like these animals. And if you break your part of this covenant, this agreement, you can still treat me like these animals. God bore both sides of the covenant. This is one-sided. This is God literally giving himself, of giving of himself for Abraham. Another day, many, many years later, a thick and dreadful darkness came again across the land. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. On the cross, Jesus bore the cost of this covenant and he fulfilled it. He hadn't failed his side of the agreement, but Abram and his descendants had. They'd fallen short. And you and I, we've fallen short of God's glory too. And Jesus was paying the price for this. Just as the animals were cut in two, Jesus' body was broken for us. This is why this covenant is God giving himself for his people. Abraham and his descendants failed to keep the covenant. You and I have failed too. But Jesus paid the price for our sin and he suffered the consequences. The wrath of the righteous judgment of God, which should have been directed to us, was borne by Jesus on the cross. And Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. 
able to save all those who come to God through him. And you know what? Because Jesus gave himself on the cross, he can also give us verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram was not made righteous by leaving his homeland. Abram was not made righteous by being generous to Lot or by giving a tenth of things to Melchizedek. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. At God's command, Abram looked up. He looked away from himself and to God, and as he did so, he had faith. He didn't know the full extent of God's covenant promise, but in what God had revealed, Abram had faith. He did not work for, he did not earn this righteous standing before God. It was given as a gift. It was credited to him. Grasp this this morning. Faith is not an absence of fear. Despite all his questions and fears, Abraham believed the Lord. Don't let fear rob you of your assurance in Jesus this morning, church. When your fears and your doubts hit you like a punch to the stomach, and you feel crippled and you don't know how you're going to make another day, know those fears are not going to separate you from Jesus. They will not disqualify you. Faith is not an absence of fear. And ultimately, the greatest possible fear of all is that we will be separate from God for all eternity. But if we have faith in what Jesus has done, that fear will never, ever come to pass. That fear has been removed by the greatness of Jesus and the greatness of his sacrifice. The Abraham we looked at today, the man who was open to God about his fears, the man who asked God, how can I know? It is about this Abraham that Paul wrote Romans 4. Let me read you again those few verses we heard earlier. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet... He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham had received a promise from God and he could do nothing to achieve it. He was helpless to achieve it, just like us. We too have received a promise of God that we are made righteous, no, we are made righteous by our faith in Him. And we cannot do anything to achieve this. It is one sided giving. And Abraham's response to this 
was to look to the greatness of the one who had spoken and to accept that God took full responsibility for the fulfillment of that promise. Faith rests on the fact that God is faithful. So let us take God at his word this morning. And you know God's word to you this morning? It's the same as it was to Aram in verse 1. Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. God gives you himself. God gives his greatness into your greatest fears. Who alone can steady your racing heart in the middle of the night? Who alone can hold you strong as the ground gives way following loss, breakdown, diagnosis? Jesus. God alone. There is no other great enough. God gives himself to you as your shield, your very great reward. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we can come to you trembling, afraid, mumbling our words, doubting, broken, sinful, failures, sufferers. And we can speak those things to you. And you take hold of us. And you draw us out. And you lift us up. And you strengthen us. And you bind our wounds. You bring hope where there's hopelessness. Joy where there's sorrow. And life where there's death. We thank you that you do not leave us alone. You do not leave us just to die in our sin and be separate from you forever, but you came. As a descendant from Abraham, you came. And you're the mediator of a new covenant. Help us to live in faith this morning. Faith that you have done the work. In repentant faith, confessing our sin and our failures before you. And finding life and hope at the foot of the cross. I pray that you'll bring us great assurance this morning that our salvation rests in you and you alone. Amen.